Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here. We welcome you. Um, We're happy to see you. For those that are with us for the first time this morning, we welcome you once again. My name is Brandon McPherson. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, the executive pastor here at Mosaic. Um, but yeah, we are delighted to have you. For those that found us on Instagram, praise God. Like, what, a, what an insane uh, way that we can get the word out. Um, I think the Apostle Paul would be a little envious of uh, the ability that we might have uh, to reach those that we might would never know. So we thank you for coming uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This summer, we have been going through a series through 1 Timothy, and now we just concluded 1 Timothy last week, and now we're going to jump over to 2 Timothy just for the next uh, four weeks, and then we'll jump back into our series in Mark that we have waited a while to get back into, but we're looking forward to the fall, looking forward to people's vacations being over with. Um, when we planted, we had no idea that so many young people took so much vacation during the summer, but uh, we're glad that they're out enjoying themselves, but looking forward uh, to their return in the fall. Second Timothy chapter 1. I want to uh, preface this before we stand for the, for the word. Uh, this is, a, I would consider, a pretty practical sermon. Um, it is one that I would think uh, might seem a bit simple, but also sheds light into some serious moments in our lives. Second Timothy is the start of the last book that the Apostle Paul will ever write. That he is passionate about what he says here and instructs Timothy to do some, some different things. And so I want us to, as the next few weeks, as we look over Second Timothy, I want us to look through with those lenses of this is a man who has been in ministry, who has fought the good fight, as he's going to say. He has uh, endured such uh, difficulties, imprisonments, beatings, being shipwrecked. I mean, you, the list just goes on and on. And I, I like for us to focus on in this word and knowing that this is the last thing that he leaves for us. Now, we don't worship Paul. We don't, uh, we don't put him in, in some sort of category that we wouldn't put ourselves in, that Paul was a broken man who needed a savior just as we do. But he shows us uh, through his words, through the Holy Spirit, a perspective. And he gives Timothy this perspective. In fact, I would say that 2 Timothy, really, there's a theme that sort of takes place. And I think that uh, for chapter 1 is also given us that theme. And that is that Paul gives Timothy, first, again, a perspective, where to keep our focus And that perspective bleeds in over into the hope, the hope of Christ, and that is to be his perspective. But while he's here, the hope of Christ is what allows him to go into his community, go to his neighbor, to love those that have poured into him and even those that have come against him. And then finally, Paul gives Timothy reality through suffering, through uh, showing that the Christian walk isn't just 
butterflies and everything isn't just perfect, that the prosperity gospel is false, that it has nothing to do with if you give your life to Christ, then all of these great and wonderful things will happen, which certainly they do in the sense of relationship with him, but that doesn't keep us exempt from the world, the brokenness that we live and dwell in. And Paul is not afraid to tell Timothy and all of us that life is difficult. There is suffering, and there is suffering for the sake of the gospel, and there is suffering just for the sake of being in this world. That I don't think that Christians have been able to just say that suffering is only for the Christian. Certainly there is suffering for the gospel, but this world is broken and in need of this Savior that Paul is going to speak so eloquently about. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, for a moment, will you stand with me? We're just going to read through this chapter today, and then we'll begin to break some of this down. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelled first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now he has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that he hasn't been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Unisiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is God's word. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would uh, quicken our hearts that we might not just be hearers but doers of that word. Be with us today. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
I, uh, I will admit to you that uh, my favorite texts are the ones that often read, uh, you know, the guys' names in the Bible, like John and David, uh, or uh, Jeremiah, I handle pretty well. Um, I can even pull off Hezekiah at times, you know, but some of these names in here, if you see me trip over a little bit, oh well. Uh, but uh, there is something about... God's word here this morning that we're going to see will challenge us in the way that maybe we have grown or the way that we have uh, needed even spiritual maturity in our own lives. And that's what Paul first points Timothy to, to the maturity that has been given to him by others. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. This is an important thing, and I actually want to spend a little bit of time um, talking about the maturity of those around us in our lives, that if we have uh, maybe had the opportunity to cling to those that have poured into you. I think about, you know, my parents, my grandparents, those that I've had the opportunity to have in my life to pour into me, and I'm thankful for those things, those people. And I would challenge you today that if you don't know someone who is mature in the faith, that isn't guiding you in some respect, to find that person. Begin to pray for that person, that that person would be in your life. I remember in 2000 and, uh, I guess, whoa, 2013, I began praying for, some, for a man to be in my life that could mentor me, that could speak into my life, that, could, that I could uh, have that would, has walked into ministry. I'm thankful for my family and their, uh, their gifts that they have given me spiritually, but I was alone in ministry, first-generation preacher, and I wanted, I wanted sort of that perspective, and so I began praying for that. Lord, would you uh, introduce me to someone that could speak to me in that regard? And it wasn't long until God began to open some doors for me. So I would challenge you that if you don't have that person in your life to begin to seek after that person. As I speak with a lot of people as far as finding people or thanking God for those that have walked before them, I will get met with this this comment at times. Well, I didn't have that growing up. Maybe that's you. Maybe you can look back at your history and your life and you can say, you know, I honestly didn't have anyone pouring into me. I didn't have anyone that I could say, you know, like I could bring my spiritual questions to. And like I said, pray for that person if you didn't have that person growing up. But if that's you and you say, well, I didn't have that growing up, well, okay, but will your children have that person growing up? Will those around you, will the next generation have those people like what Timothy had in his grandmother? And his mother, your kids know you well, or they should. I mean, I hope that they do. My kids know me well. They know, they know what my favorite baseball players are. They know, what, they know what's on the menu at Chick-fil-A and at Chipotle uh, because we go there so often. They know how I like to relax. They know what frustrates me. They know what makes me happy. They know that powdered donuts are my greatest weakness. My kids know me because they're around me. My kids don't know uh, what, a, what it's like to be at a live soccer game. 
I've just never taken them. I, have, I haven't had, they haven't had any interest in, in, in knowing it because it's not an interest to me. They don't know what country music sounds like. And, and forgive me if that's, what, if that's the way that you and your family operate, but my kids just don't know what that twang sounds like. And I, I praise God for that. Uh, they, they know the things that I'm interested in, and they, know the thing, they don't know the things I'm not because I influence their world. It's not brainwashing. It's just simply they're a product of our household. And so if, if my kids know every word, if my six-year-old knows every word to my favorite album, but doesn't know who Christ is, then I'm placing an emphasis on the wrong things. And Timothy is seeing this through what Paul is trying to remind him and saying, look, there's, Timothy, no doubt, had a lot of relationships with a lot of different people. But what Paul is saying is remember your grandmother and remember your mother. And Timothy might have been thinking like, okay, so like the two most boring people in my life? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with mothers and grandmothers. Of course not. Like I've, I've been blessed and my mother has never been considered boring. But I can say that, that as we are looking at these things, Paul says, remember those that are maybe have the quiet voice among all the other voices in your life, but still have that strong, powerful word behind it, that being the word of God. We influence our children's lives. We have been given a fire, the fire of salvation, and that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of, not by our own efforts, but by the efforts of Christ. We have been given a responsibility to fan the flame of our salvation. I like, I like to put it this way as, as we raise our kids, that I have, I have no control over whether my children become saved. Um, I'm not God. I pray for them. I believe that they will be saved. I believe that it's objective evidence that my kids will be saved because they get to grow up in my household. And I, I think that that's a gift to them, that God has given me them as a gift. And so I'm going to do everything that I can to steward them and steward them well. But we have the responsibility as parents to set the kindling for the hearts of our children. What I mean is that when that fire that only God can provide comes to them, I want there to be a lot of stuff around them that when that fire hits, they've got all this that's burning because it's been placed around them. I want my, I want my children to know deep theology so that when, whenever the Lord decides to, cho- to, to save them, seven years old, eight years old, whatever, whatever it might be, that they already know these things. They're not having to walk this journey at the very beginning of themselves, that they can begin to fan the flame, that, that if you've ever built a fire, you, you realize that it needs this oxygen, it needs this airflow, this movement. God has given us a responsibility that these verses that, that might look good on a coffee cup or, or in your house somewhere, and it's fine with me if they are, uh, verses like, you know, but for, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord or train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. These are not just simply catchphrases that belong on t-shirts or in, on a bumper sticker. That these are proclamations, that these are commands, that when Paul says to Timothy, remember what has been spoken to you, that it begins to stir something up in him. 
But here in our text, Paul isn't referring to child to a child specifically in this passage. He is challenging Timothy to remember those that have gone before you. And so what Paul does in 2 Timothy is he begins to write 2 Timothy in a similar way that he ends 1 Timothy. And that is this theme of, of honor. This theme of honoring those that have spoken into your life. See, in 1 Timothy, Paul had just been freed from prison. And I, I, you know, I've never been in prison. I don't know what it's like to be freed from prison, but I can assure, I, I would imagine it's a pretty good feeling. I mean, I've definitely had like weight on me, and when that was done, I, I felt good and thankful. And I would imagine that Paul here in First Timothy is feeling like a new man. He's lived as a free one now for about, they say, probably about three to six years before Second Timothy is written. And it's at this time that he uh, is captured once again for preaching the gospel, and he writes here, 2 Timothy, and like I mentioned before, this will be the last book that Paul writes. But to my point, regardless of his current state, Paul starts off his letter to Timothy, like I said, the same way that he ends the last one, and that being the theme of honor. Paul puts an emphasis on honoring those that teach you in the faith. I sometimes feel guilty for uh, preaching so much and at times pulling in um, our culture and things like that. I don't want to be a, a, a social justice warrior. I, I don't think that it's important for us to harp on our culture at all times. It doesn't dictate our joy. It doesn't dictate our hope. It doesn't do any of those things. But we are a product of our culture. And we see things around us and we see things that are being disrupted and I think it's easy to see that we live in an egocentric culture and it cannot thrive even though it is doing everything that it can to do to thrive, but it cannot thrive because we struggle, our culture struggles to look past ourselves and our own personal gains or our own personal glory. Paul is pushing against this type of culture not just in 2 Timothy, but in Ephesians and in Corinthians and in, 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 in throughout, this, throughout the New Testament. There is this pushback on selfishness or self-righteousness. Whereas a culture of honor, it does thrive because it puts an emphasis on our neighbor. And without intending to do so, your neighbor, your love for your neighbor fans more of that flame that God has placed in your heart. It's almost like Jesus is doing us a favor by telling us to love one another. He says that when you do this, that you, when you honor one another, people will know that you're mine. That's what Jesus says. Well, people are hard to love. Yeah, they are. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5 that what reward is there in loving those that already love you? He says that aren't even the tax collectors doing this? Isn't it easy to love those that are already there loving you, that are supporting you, that are patting you on the back? Christians should have no problem loving those in this world because we were called to love everyone. Not, not condoning their sin, not supporting them in their sin, that's not love. That's a fake love. That's a love that just says that I'm just going to accept you even in your sin with, despite knowing that it's your sin that's going to kill you and ultimately be your end. But what the enemy wants is this disorder 
this scheme that is a lie from the enemy. The world is trying its best to pit us against one another, to pit us against our neighbors. Have you, I mean, have you ever seen more division in our world than we see today? I haven't, and, and I haven't been around that long. I don't know. My brother and I, we were talking about this yesterday as we were riding down the road, and, I, and we were talking about it. Um, in fact, we were, so, uh, we were so in that mindset of talking about it, we were following Brian to get fireworks, and I completely just stopped following him. I just drove off to another place because I was so focused. Jordan was like, hey, that's, that's the truck. We're so, I was, so I had to do a U-turn and go back. We did fireworks for the squirrels game last night. If you were there, you're welcome. All right, so, uh, but we were out there, and uh, we we're talking about it, and, and we were thinking, like, is it, is it really, like, we grew up in the 90s. Is it today really worse? I mean, I don't know. You have this also, this child perspective of what it's like to grow up. I don't know. But I can tell you that I look around, and I see disunity everywhere. I see people trying to put me in a box of, this is your color, this is who you vote for, this is where you stand, this is how old you are, that, that in every way, that if you're, if you're not in my age group, if you're not my color, if we didn't vote for the same person, if we don't have the same belief, then we have to be separate. And I'll just be honest, I'm getting kind of tired of it. And, I, and I'm fine with seeing the culture do those things, I'm fine with seeing um, the, the world do those things, but when the church starts doing those things, in 1 John 4, 8, it says that whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. We cannot get to a place where we refuse to love any particular group for any particular reason. If there are groups in our society that you hate, then I would, I would urge you to repent and find ways to love them. Again, loving and accepting, accepting sin are two different things. And so Paul gives us perspective by reminding Timothy of the honor that is to be shown, the honor that is to be shared, and how this gives him a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And once again, I, I want to remind you that God isn't trying to rob you by commanding you. He doesn't rob you by saying, love your neighbor. He doesn't, he doesn't rob you by saying that, that uh, even those that are different than you, that, that the culture has said, you know, is an outcast, whatever it might be, by loving them, he isn't robbing you. And then Paul sh sort of shifts a little bit and reminds Timothy of his hope. That if we love others for the sake of loving others, that we will become burned out. So there's, there's a caveat here. It, it's not just, we don't just love people for the sake of just saying, we will love you. We're, we're not a hippie commune. We don't, we don't just go around just sharing, you know, that we'll just be run over by everyone. I mean, I don't agree with that. That we love others, not just for the sake of loving others, like I said, because we will be burned out, but we, uh, if we just love others for the sake of because we want to, because that's just what we think is best, then we will at some point slip into bitterness because we do not feel that the love is being returned or we're not getting loved the way that we prefer, but rather when we love others for the sake of Christ and that Christ first loved us, then our end goal changes. If we began to love others because Christ first loved us, 
it changes our motive. Do you see, do you see the contrast? It's, it's a slippery slope because everyone, an atheist can love others, right? And I would even argue that there are some atheists that love others better than we do at times. There are, anybody can give to a charity or help someone out. I mean, these things are true. But just to love others for the sake of, because you just feel that it's a good thing, it's going to come to an end. At some point, you're going to think that someone owes you something, and they probably will. So if we love others from that perspective of, of what can I get out of it, it will end at some point, but loving others because Christ first loved us, loving others because when we love others, we are loving Christ that changes our end goal. And if you are feeling worn out by relationships, then it might be that your end goal is skewed. Or if you're feeling that you're not getting enough attention from others, then your end goal may be skewed. We love Christ because he first loved us and we love others because he commands us to and it is for our good. And so what Paul is suggesting is more than just a gospel-centered life that produces healthy relationships. He's, he's suggesting that a gospel-centered life produces a healthy relationship with him, with others, and then he even goes one step further and says that it might even, a gospel-centered life might even produce suffering. And I say praise God that at this moment we are not facing the persecution that some of our brothers and sisters have faced in the past or are facing in the world today. But regardless, God calls us to guard what has been given to us. by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. When you come here on a Sunday morning at Mosaic, you will hear the gospel preached every single Sunday. We are unapologetic about it. If you don't like to hear Jesus in every single sermon, this won't be a good place for you because that is what we do. And we hold one another to it. If ever Pastor Greg gets up and he preaches a sermon and Christ is mentioned in it and not mentioned in it, uh, we'll have a discussion afterward. And, and he begs for that. And we haven't had to do that yet. <laughs> Same for me. Yeah, exactly. If, if I get up here and I don't preach Christ to you, then I've preached something else. Matthew Henry, with his commentary on this portion of text, I, I would tend to agree with it. it, says, Even those who are ever so well taught cannot keep what they have learned any more than they could at first learn it without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. We must not think to keep it by our own strength, but keep it by the Holy Spirit. What's being said is that just as God has called us into this great life of salvation, we cannot keep these things. We cannot keep God's word within us without the Holy Spirit. That even standing before you right now, preaching God's word is not possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. You sitting there and listening and listening with ears willing to hear is not by your own doing and not by your own effort, but by the Holy Spirit. So if you hear what I say today and you're, you're hearing what's being sung in worship or you, you receive these sacraments with us and whatever it might be, and you receive that today with joy and with, with gratitude and with thanksgiving, know that that is a beautiful and precious work of the Holy Spirit. That isn't you. But praise God that we get to 
enjoy those things despite ourselves. Paul is telling Timothy to not forget to pray that God keeps you. This isn't your own doing. And then Paul then goes on to describe what some may think is petty. I, I don't know. He, he describes these two, these two men who left his side and how these men hurt him and how these men uh, betrayed him. And in fact, everyone in, in Asia at that time who was with him deserted him. And we're gonna we'll really dive into this chapter four where Paul basically just goes on a tangent of listing all these guys that betrayed him. Stay away from this guy. Don't trust this guy. Move away from this guy. He's been burned by those around him. Preaching the gospel, standing up for Christ, not being ashamed of these words will allow you to walk in some amazing, amazing, beautiful relationships. And it can also destroy relationships. Sinclair Ferguson says that spiritual growth depends on two things. First, a willingness to live according to the word of God. Secondly, a willingness to take whatever consequences emerge as a result. There are consequences and rewards to following Christ. We knew this in, in planting this church even, that, that we would be doing something that we had never done before. We are scared. We're still scared. We're just young church planters who are, who are doing the absolute best with what God has given us. And we hope that you see our hearts. We hope that all of us, our prayer is that all of us know that we're not alone in this that we're not even alone in our suffering. Hebrews 4.15 says that, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Paul knew this. Paul knew that he, is going to, that he would be able to finish this race, that Paul knew that more than likely he would never get out of that prison, that, he would, that his death would be found during this time, and it was. And yet despite his suffering, he praised God and he even had the, the perspective to tell Timothy, don't overlook those people in your life that are speaking truth to you. Your mother and your grandmother, don't overlook them. And don't put such an emphasis on those that have been maybe tight with you in ministry or tight with you in your walk that have betrayed you that you might just need to say, hey, I think it's, it's time that I move on from this. I love, I love to see contrast in Scripture, especially from the Old to the New Testament, the, the types that we see at times. One of my favorite stories in Genesis 11, and a lot happens in the first 15 chapters of Genesis. I mean, a lot. <laughs> but in chapter 11 of Genesis, it gives us account that the whole earth at this time had one language and they all used the same words. And you might know the story. These people, they come together and they say this, come let us build ourselves a city with its tops to the heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves. The Tower of Babel, maybe you know this story is 
these people were building this tower. Uh, God saw this and saw that it wasn't good, and so he dis- disrupted their language and, and spread them out across the nations, and be- they became their own people, and there was this great sort of divide that took place that needed to take place. And the reason why it needed to take place was their heart. There's nothing wrong with building a big building. There's nothing wrong with building a tower. That tower wasn't going to get to heaven. I mean, God knew that. I don't think he was genuinely concerned that people were going to crawl up through heaven, through this building. But he knew their heart and he knew their perspective. Paul is urging Timothy, do not have that heart What does it look like when God's people come together with a different heart, with a different attitude? Well, we see the contrast from Genesis 11 to Acts 2. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, there was, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. The Spirit gave them the utterance. There is this great unity that takes place. Why? Not because man was in the middle, not because they had their own, their own agenda, not because they wanted to build a big building, because there were these men and women who gathered together and said, We will focus on the Lord. And whatever comes of it, comes of it. They, don't, they didn't know what was going to take place on that day. They didn't know that 2,000 years ago, a young pastor would stand in a pulpit and talk about it. But their hearts were focused. I pray that for us. I pray that for Mosaic. I pray that for the body of Christ, the, the, the big C church, not just Mosaic. This Life isn't just about this little church plant, but it is about Jesus and what can be accomplished when his people are focused. And so I challenge you today. I'm always, I guess, perplexed during my sermon prep time because every time I'm prepping a sermon, I'm reminded of something that I needed to be reminded of that I had forgotten like in a week's time. That's why the gospel being preached on Sunday mornings will never get monotonous because you need it. Every week you need it. You need it like breath in your lungs. So if you're here today and you, you might would say, well, you know, I, I haven't had those people in my life that could pour into me, then I encourage you, pray for those people. Or be that person to others. But above all, seek Christ, because he is what unifies. He is what is to be remembered. He is, he is the heartbeat of what Paul is sending to his young, uh, his, this young man, this young warrior, this young pastor is what he is presenting to him to not forsake, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.